Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here are your hosts, Asha Davis and Rob Schwartz. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Mark Pollard. You may know him as the host of the popular and wonderful podcast known as Sweathead. You may also know him from his excellent and kaleidoscopic book on strategic planning called Strategy is Your Words. He is prolific. He is insightful. He always makes you think. Mark Pollard, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. What's up, team? He always makes you think. I, I like that. It's, it's gentle, yet specific. Could be criticism, but not sure yet. <laughs> Always makes you think that what is what how is that criticism? No, I said it wasn't yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> well, look, let's face it, we think for a living. Much of the world does not want to think for a living, let alone in a day. So for some people, someone who makes them think could be kind of annoying. You know what I was thinking when you said that much of the world doesn't want to think what we have to think about. Well, that's a whole other topic. Yes. But yeah, that's, that's, that's getting deep. Definitely true. Definitely true. It's way easier to get through life in some respects, just robotically, right? So much of what we all do is counter-programming our own roboticism. Be like, ah, disagree with that brief, disagree with that insight, disagree with that idea. What- oh, we're, oh, we're, we're going to get into that. All right. So we're going to start off talking about your, I'm going to go ahead and say this is an exceptional book. Oh, thank you. Ooh. Strategy is your words is the title. It's beautifully art directed as well. We may have some pictures of it from our screen grabs, but wonderfully art directed, cool little doodles that Mark does, great charts. I love that the spine of the book is yellow, like a highlighter, just wonderful. Thank you. Now, I just want to throw out this statement about strategy is your words in which you cover the Princess Bride, Gertrude Stein, David Carradine and Kung Fu, RZA, Michel Foucault, and Mr. Potato Head. And that is just the first 100 pages. Discuss, please. Uh, Ruza, not RZA. So let's start. I, I like how you got the French pronunciation right, though. But, you know, let's, let's <laughs> keep it a little American. Yeah, I, I'm trying to, I was trying to take unusual ways into these topics. And these topics are topics that... I felt for a long time, might have taken for granted when I was working in Sydney, Australia, where I worked in the industry, broadly speaking, from the age of about 19 to say 32. I'm 10 years in New York, pretty much as of this week. A lot of culture shock arriving, a lot of corporate culture shock as well. And this book is sort of an antidote to what I was going through working in New York agencies and constantly having to explain myself which was a surprise to me. I thought we'd agreed about why I was getting hired, but it's, it's you know, like strategy and account planning, I don't know, not as embedded, not as much of a center of gravity compared to a Sydney or a Melbourne or probably an Auckland or a London or various places. And that's not a criticism, really different way of working and way of thinking here, which I find really interesting. But I wanted to take all the topics that I took for granted that I found myself talking to people a lot about and just find weird ways into them and have some fun mm. Um, and obviously, you probably picked up on this. Around the time I started, I turned 40. So processing what's the next part of my life going to be about. A little bit of crisis in there, a way to kind of write through my own crisis. So there are, there's a lot going on in the book for me personally with family and then just career stuff as well. I'm going to turn it over to Asha because there was a lot of planning things that I think you either need to extrapolate or defend. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think I'm about five years or so into my New York advertising agency journey coming from Canada. And I think, you know, s- similar experience probably to, to Australia, I would say, in terms of when you're in the smaller market, strategy has to really work super hard because you, your budgets are about a fraction of the size of, of what they typically are in the U.S. And there's also your teams are about a fraction of the size. So there's this kind of all hands on deck mentality and a strategy department oftentimes can be like three or four people at Mm -hmm. best. And so I think that there's just a different relationship sometimes depending kind of on the size of the agency. 
Something that I think is interesting right up front is, is even the title of your book and, and the nuance between strategy is your words versus probably the mind would go to strategy in your words, right? And I think that there's something really interesting about choosing the words to, to your point uh, of that title because you know something that separates a good strategist from a great strategist obviously is is understanding the power of your words but removing your own perspective from those words and be anchored really in the audience that you're talking to um, and, and so I'd love for you just to unpack a little bit about the title and kind of how how you got there Yes, it's, it's funny. I mean, it really similar process in some respects to how one might write a strategy statement or a single minor proposition. I was like, what am I trying to do here? What do I keep talking about? Words. Okay. Strategy, words. Gosh, am I really going to write about that? Because that seems a bit obvious. And I was like, well, why do I keep talking about it all the time? And so I wrote that phrase slash oh, sentence really. And I was like, is? That doesn't make sense. But Every time I see it or look at it, I'm like, it doesn't make sense. However, I want to find out more. And that's what advertising is about. That's what a creative brief's about. Hopefully that's what the, the title of a book is about. A strategy is one of my keywords slash trigger words as well. I have to use it. Like people don't listen to me unless I say strategy, 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 mm-hmm. uh, at least three times. Right. And so I was like, look, let me just play into this and within the book mess with people. Cause I, I didn't want to write a business book that was going to be like a business card you give away or yeah. a business book that just, I don't know, disappears into Amazon. This is in a non-pretentious way. This is me trying to do art through something that I really enjoy doing, take seriously, but also don't take seriously. So yeah. that title captures all of that for me. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting, right? Like the, to your point, like you read it and you're like, what does, what does that even mean? <laughs> By the way, I, I was just happy that it wasn't strategy is your charts. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't chart that much. Are you, are you a big charter? No, I. But you know, sometimes when we get into these strategic discussions, you know, especially when you know the data shows up, you know, there's just a lot of charty charts. And um, you know, again, I think what's what's wonderful about this book, which you won't be able to see on a podcast, is of course this: the final spread of these fantastic. Mark Pollard, for lack of a better word, charts. Drawing things, yeah. Iconography. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what it is. It's hard for me to see my own drawings back, by the way. But, you know, part of what I'm, I believe in, and I, I think I was just super fortunate to be in that, that generation that came up on digital. I was making websites as a teenager, so I came up in that world. And I used the internet to communicate. Data, numbers, useful, but... Nothing better than, hey, I got an article that I want to put up. 30 minutes later, boom, 100 people have seen it. Incredible. I was 28 before I moved into brand planning and I did both digital and brand planning roles. So digital as in information architecture for bank websites, et cetera, at Leo Burnett in Sydney. And I just came in when we were bringing in really smart numbers people. Moved to the US, numbers, numbers, numbers not talking about ideas very often, not talking about creativity very often in my personal experience, right? Which is also not to dismiss the people I worked with at all. But I've also seen amazing work and I know it came from a quick conversation in the corridor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet m- most amazing work I've seen did not come from 100 slides. Yeah. So what's all that about? Well, I, I think one, one of the things you do well in the book is the precision of the things we talk about when we're not talking about ideas, meaning you've taken on the word strategy, you've taken on the word insight, and you've taken on the word ideas. Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe as, as, as a place to start, I mean, you found great ways to explain the three most popular words in a strategic conversation. Most overused, most, <laughs> most uh, misunderstood <laughs> words. Yeah, you got an hour. I mean, I literally, <laughs> this is what I do for a living. I break all these words down and, and I'm sort of addicted to it now. I must be a little difficult to have conversations with because I'm like, what do you mean by that word? Because I love words. I used to love Scrabble growing up and Boggle, uh, like word puzzles, right? And, and, and so when someone says a word to me, and rap, by the way, but when more literary rap, but like when someone drops a word or two in and they look for you to respond, unless I know what they mean, 
how can I give them a useful response unless they're just trying to hear themselves talk? So yeah, insights, ideas, strategy can go into that quickly. What? Give me a, give me another prompt though. <laughs> well, I mean, by the way, I, I think this is you. I think you gave me one of the best definitions of strategy, uh, an informed opinion on how to win. Was that, wasn't that you? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, informed opinion about how to win, where the only thing controversial about that is probably the word opinion. Oh, oh really? Well, yeah, because I'm try again trying to cure a few years I worked in particular agencies here where people had never written in public creatively and, and never really done research would bully me and my teams about finding bulletproof data-driven insights. Can you prove that that insight is going to work in the wild? And what people don't understand is that that is like asking a comedian if that joke is going to work before they've ever gotten up on stage and performed it in front of anyone. Mm. Right. But, but they, people in power lord these questions over people and try to diminish them. And so there is a certain defiant anger in the book you probably picked yeah. up on, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's just not okay. Yeah. No? So that's the dark side of using words in a vague and maybe mean way. So for, for our listeners, I think, you know, for folks that are not as familiar with you, you know, maybe you can break down probably, in my opinion, one of the most misunderstood words, which you just kind of mentioned, insights, right? Tell folks the difference between a data point and an insight. Yeah, well, when people use the word data, I don't think they know what they mean. Right. Because there's a model called the DIKW model, data, information, knowledge, wisdom. And the thing is, if you imagine it as a pyramid, data being, or the D being at the very bottom, data's kind of meaningless until you use it, at which point it's no longer data, it's information. Hmm. So that's the first point. As soon as you use it, you're actually talking about information. This is how I understand it. I don't have to be right or wrong. This just works hmm. for me. This just works for me. And here's the thing, the word blue, piece of data. Number three, piece of data. The word sun, piece of data. Okay, so what? The thing is when people are saying data-driven and they're saying percentage and a percentage that can prove that something that's never gonna happen is going to happen. Right. So that's kind of a, a ridiculous thing. Then just to very quickly go into insight and I still play with these ideas and I do binge a bit on mm. psychology research and talks. Mm. The, Easiest way for me to explain what an insight is in a matter of sentences is as follows. To me, to me, an insight is an idea. An idea combines at least two topics in novel and useful ways. That is paraphrasing Edward de Bono. How an insight is different to an idea is an insight gets us to change how we behave. So I do see insights as being subgroups or subcategories of ideas. Now, if that's kind of intellectual, here's how it appears. And I use this example in the book. And this, this example is, quote, hit me when I was doing research, talking to men about losing hair. And a gentleman said to me, I don't feel accomplished enough to be bald. Okay. Wow. Now, as a sentence, that's not an advertising slash campaign idea. It's an idea. You've got two things coming together. Mm -hmm. Right. Hair loss and achievement or accomplishment, right? Now, if I then hear that or see that and I change my behavior somehow, I go bald or I try not to go bald, then it's an insight to me. Hmm. And the, the beautiful thing and why I get so excited about this stuff, I really do, is you can, once you understand the mechanics and the patterns, you can write in a really playful way to find them. You can laser hone in on them. Yeah in research you can watch stand-up comedy and you're like boom that sentence there got it two things coming together oh you know what i'm going to go home and behave a little bit differently insight and so these things have to be utterly practical you know even even if it can take some intellectual meandering to get there yeah but, but I, I, i'll tell you though on page 225 and i urge you folks out there don't have the book when you do your four points bit which is wonderful you've expressed i think a great sentence on what an insight is What's an insight? An unspoken human truth that sheds new light on a problem. An unspoken human truth that sheds new light on a problem. That I think when this insight thing comes up and it seems to be the trigger word uh, of all trigger words, that's a definition that if I was a junior copywriter, I'd be like, I'm using that. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. And, and some of the examples in here and the language I use, I know there's some vagueness and jargon. You know, the word human as an adjective, I honestly, I struggle with it, but I get it, right? When a practical example, I often run workshops with people, strategists especially, trying to use strategy techniques on their own heads, on their inner critic. Right. Now, let's say someone's got a very simple, we'll use the word problem, that they don't feel very confident. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to dig into like, why don't you feel confident? What's going on there? Let's just say the problem statement is I don't feel confident. The business issue that's causing for me is I'm not going for promotions. I'm not getting put on big pitches, right? So there's a business issue context to it. One person mentioned an insight there that one of the reasons they don't fight their way to be confident is because they feel safer when they're small. Mm. Now, isn't that a beautiful sentence? I feel safer when I'm, when I'm small. And that's an example of how an insight can open up a problem. So you're like, oh, we've taken a word like confidence, which is very airy. doesn't mean that much, you know. Mm -hmm. so, oh, I got it. I got it. Interesting. So, you know, really practical examples that you can use or borrow from in your daily lives. Super useful. I think that's kind of one of my favorite things about you, Mark, is the utility and, and actual practicality of what you offer, you know, and, and the way you kind of break things down. Because I think maybe less so, and, you know, I, there's a difference, obviously, between brand strategy and comm strategy. And I think sometimes from a brand strategy perspective, it's like, sometimes you just get something down to get something down versus, you know, from a comms, it has to like, when you're doing communications planning, there, it's much more of like a practical discipline to kind of get to a tactical plan, essentially. And, and I think there's something really interesting there as well. And, and a couple of times, even just in this conversation, you've mentioned some parallels between comedy and strategy and kind of what we do. And uh, I do stand up comedy as well, kind of in my free time, whenever that is. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, I, I always knew that there were some transferable skills, but even just kind of hearing you talk about the, the way that you distill an idea and, and essentially sort of comedians organically are embedding insights into a bit in, and you have to kind of refine it down to its most um, practical form. I know this is kind of deviating a little here, but I'm just curious, you know, in terms of a, your fandom for comedy and like, you know, if you, who, who you love and are you, you know, a big fan of the genre? Yeah, totally. I'll answer that. I'm nervous about who's going to come out of my mouth because they've probably been canceled. <laughs> But one of my favorite things teaching critical thinking, creative thinking and strategy is to go into someone's head and go, that thing you've already got there is what we're doing. No one else has shone a torch on it because they don't want you to know that. So talking to writers, journalists, poets, stand-up comedians, yeah, my people are word-oriented. I do think you need a way with words to be a good strategist. I'm not saying that in a way to exclude people who struggle with words but I relate to the, the writer very, very quickly. You're a stand-up comedian. You've got five, 10 years of experience. Pull up your jokes. We'll be like, see that sentence there? Boom. I often teach George Carlin. He's oh. got this beautiful sentence. Wow. Uh, a house is just a pile of stuff with a cover on it. Right? So again, idea, a house, topic one, a pile of stuff with a cover on it. We'll call that topic two. That's an idea. Okay? Not an advertising idea. If you change how you behave, what is it, Usher? It's an insight. <laughs> Totally, right? And, and, and what I love about those moments is it takes power away from people who want to have power over other people. And people realize that they are capable and they just need support around them and someone to shine a torch on it. And it's the most beautiful thing. It keeps me going because I go up and down, but that stuff keeps me going. As yeah. far as comedians, I mean, you know, I like a George, I don't really don't know who's going to come out. Uh, George Carlin, I was watching Jim Jeffries, the Aussie recently. There's a whole bunch of other people who've been canceled that I can't talk about right now. I'll tell you a comedian who's not a comedian, Alan Watts. Oh, okay. That, oh my God, that guy had such a way with words and no coincidence, wrote a lot. Yeah. You know, a, lot of, a lot of people who want to talk in public don't realize you've probably got to write a lot in private to be able to talk in public. Just incredible. You know, he passed away, helped bring Zen Buddhism to the US, was an English guy. He's kind of a comedian slash philosopher uh, and a comparative theologian, but his way with words, I'm like, you're just hanging on every sentence. It's kind of incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. I There's mean, a big part of comedy is relating to and connecting with people, which is a big part of, you know, what the strategic process is as well. I think, Mark, the other great service that this book does, strategies, your words, kids, 
is when you break down the types of ideas in advertising. And this is probably worth the price of admission, worth the cost of the book. We're not going to go into detail. I'm hoping that Praveen posts it. If you don't know Praveen, you need to know Praveen on social media. He is the best curator of uh, advertising ideas out there. But what Mr. Pollard has done in his book is he's, I'm just going to throw out a few of the types of ideas in advertising, and he gives definitions. The business idea, the product idea, the brand essence, the brand purpose, the brand promise, the brand idea, the brand platform. Now, what's amazing is that you may have a sentence with somebody in the agency, and they take all those and mix and match, and you don't know what's what. But this book actually gives you definitions and gives you precision. And that, I think, is, I'm going to say that's a disruption, because we don't have enough precision in our process, and you have provided it. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you can make money from confusion, can't you? But, but also that's solving my own problem, which is working in Sydney and then New York. Sydney, less language like this back then, at least. New York, everywhere. You go to Chicago, there's different language. The word platform. You know, I think about these words all the time and I'm like, oh, I remember flying from, uh, where was it? Like Chicago to Philadelphia, first few months here. So I think that was the trip. And a gentleman leans over to me in the plane. He heard my very attractive mumbly monotone accent and he, he leans over and he goes hey what's your platform and i'm like my platform he goes yeah what are you doing here and i had no i'd never been asked that before and then over time you realize that people who are in pageants beauty pageants have a platform and politicians have a platform and then i'd never used the word in advertising but it was very common here and i'm like oh you know what a platform something you stand on for a period of time so i got that word but it took me it took confusion for me to work it all out, right? So that's where this comes from, and I appreciate your kind words. Very good. All right, Asha. <laughs> I think we made the case for the book. If you have not gotten strategy as your words yet, dear listener, it's time to hit Amazon or elsewhere now. Listen to these words. Get strategy is your words. <laughs> all right. Moving on to topic two. Go ahead. <laughs> a podcast that is maybe just a scotch more popular than ours. Just a scotch, you know. Uh, but, you know, well, it's, it's, better, it's, it's better than ours. So <laughs> you, earn, you earn a scotch when your stuff is better. Um, but, but, Mark, how would you define it? Sweathead started three years ago as I was trying to work out what to do in life. And I knew that I used to love interviewing people. I was doing community radio from the age of like 20 to 25 and used to interview mm. all your favorite rappers and graffiti artists in Wait. Australia. <laughs> yeah. Did when you interview uh, Not interviewed. Not, not RZA. I spent, yeah, yeah. RZA, RZA. I spent uh, three hours with Flavor Flav when I was, I think, 19 or 20 in a, in, a, in a hotel in Sydney. Mm. That, was, that was scary because he had this massive bouncer, Casper, watching us the whole time. Uh, yeah, but, like, you know, Guru from Gangstar, Run DMC, De La Soul, all, all kinds of people. Mm. And anyone, anyone who came through Australia, I interviewed pretty much for a long time because I also published a, a rap magazine, the first full-color Australian hip-hop magazine with a CD-ROM. So that was, that was my life, but also I sometimes made those things in agencies and I would sleep, for example, under the desk at Tribal DDB and they would give me about 20 hours of work a week and uh, then stay back, use their computers because I either didn't have one or didn't have a good one for a, a long period of time. So that, that was kind of how I came up, so to speak. So Sweathead for me is just trying to put a face, trying to put words to the unspoken things that people who think a lot and probably think too much aren't sure if they're allowed to talk about because they're always supposed to have their ish together. That's where it really came from. Um, they're my people. I feel so at home in interviews, uh, increasingly being interviewed, but definitely being the interviewer. And what I realized in the past three years, having done uh, like 350 episodes, we're nearly at a million listens. It's super hard to scale a podcast and to, to get listenership, but we're nearly at a million listens. And also having done talks in tens and tens of countries around the world, these are my people. I don't have these conversations with anyone else. Yeah. And it, it really hit me one night in Sao Paulo, actually, after a couple of days of talks down there. And I just, I was looking around and I, you know, I'm a bit older now than a lot of the people who are kind of, well, obviously coming up, but I looked around, I'm like, 
I literally don't have these conversations with anybody else. Yeah, we could talk about politics, but then we might talk about game theory. Then someone's talking about chess. Then we're talking about music. Amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So Sweathead's about helping people who think a lot kind of establish livelihoods in the world. But it's been a real home, a real spiritual home for me. It's helped me exist and realize that I'm not that unusual. I'm unusual, but there are other people out there like me. And hopefully that helps other people who feel similarly. You know, just, just, just to build up what you're saying in your magazine background, you know, we, uh, we interviewed uh, Debbie Millman. She's got a great uh, podcast, Design Matters. Uh, she's a fantastic designer herself. And she said something on the podcast that I thought was so profound. And it was that podcasts are the new magazines. And I thought that was just a great uh, analogy. And uh, I could see Sweathead, you know, as, you know, right next to Monocle, you know, a kind of interesting cultural magazine. Can you see that? Is that, uh, is that a valid uh, point of view? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe similar, but definitely motivated by similar interests where you've probably got someone who's a bit introverted, who's super curious, who might want to tell their own stories, but might be more comfortable telling other people's stories. That is a lot of writers and a lot of editors. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I get that as an analogy. I think what's going to be interesting is when what people are spending time with is stuff like Roblox, like what's Roblox, which is where so many young kids are spending hours a day right now is just listed, you know, what's that compared to podcasts and magazines. And then in the past year, from what I understand, a lot of podcasts, the numbers have been pretty flat because people haven't been commuting and, you know, people are a little bit burnt out mentally. So love the analogy, love Debbie as well. I'm going to ponder that one, but I like it. It's interesting because that whole notion of kind of like find your tribe and you know these feeling like you're not so much of a weirdo you know it is definitely something that I can relate to and I feel like again you know when you are in our field of advertising in general but definitely doubling down on strategy you're you're a very eclectic human being obviously as as you've evidenced and and we'll hear a bit more about your journey in a second as well but you know, everybody that I've met that are in the strategy field, there's all these like random, really interesting things that they do outside of work, you know, that make them even more compelling and even better able to sort of connect, if you will, in the world around us. And it's interesting that you said that just because even from, that was a discovery I made when I started doing stand-up a few years ago. It's like you're meeting these random people at open mics. You you look like you would literally have zero things in common. And once you start talking, you're like, oh my gosh, these are literally me. Like everybody yeah. have something so weird in common with, and you're just like, there's like a gene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I ask you a chunky question, Asha? Sure. Do you ever feel that you have to slow down too much to work in advertising? Yes, obviously. I mean, I feel like I have to be a bit more pedantic with the way that I communicate things. I can get to step 10 in three steps, but I got to take all 10 steps so that I make it past step two, you know? (laughs) What do you mean by make it past step two? So that other people see you do the steps so that they trust step 10? No, so that they trust that I know, trust that step 10 is where we need to end up, you know? Like it feels sometimes that like, remember in math class where they want to see the work even though the answer is the answer. It's like, I just know. Sometimes I don't know how I just know. I just know, you know? Yeah, and I think... I think these things are really worth pointing out because typically people doing creative work and, and, and strategy work are going to be pretty high in openness. So novelty seeking, variety seeking. seeking. This is from the big five personality traits, but I won't bore you with it. It's super interesting to me. It helped me understand myself. O and N. We'll just talk about those two of the five and N neuroticism, bouncy. And at the same time, it takes creative people to build businesses and often conservative people to run them. And I think there can be these weird conflicts in in advertising agencies that are established or even new where there's going to be people who are, this is maybe not an accurate label, but like psychologically conservative. Mm -hmm. They get things done. They know how to make things run. You, we need those people. However, sometimes they lack empathy for the people bouncing around who that's not going to stop, by the way, they're going to keep bouncing and they often need empathy and need to understand that it's okay to be bouncing around. There's a super dark side to all of that, which can come through 
substance abuse, addiction, lashing out and so on and so forth, right? We all need each other. But I just don't feel that enough stories are being told about the people who bounce and who sometimes have to slow down in a way that really doesn't make sense to the point where they might feel that they don't fit in to the job that they love. So I just wanted to mm. draw you into me making a point through you. Thank you. No, no, I, I think you're right. And as you, and as you guys were, were both laying that out, the kind of strategist plight, it struck me that there's another dynamic from the creative standpoint that I have witnessed throughout my career, which is the creatives, we want you planners, we want you to be right, but don't have the answer. Right. It's a very yep. strange uh, request. Yeah. Please be 100% right, but, but, but me creative, we're having, you know, I'm gonna have the answer. What? Yeah, well, like narcissism and creativity correlate right there's a, there's a connection there and to me strategy work is is creative work so all, all this kind of nests together in a weird way where you know what what if we just talked about it a little bit better it'd be great so one of my favorite people that i worked with who's now a cco of a pretty large agency the planner's role was to find stuff that hadn't been found before and the creative team's job context advertising unapologetically was to bring it to life in a way that hadn't been done before Really simple. And we kind of knew where mm. the overlap was. And I remember working with this person once on a project where I'd done 10, 15 years of creating content, of creating magazines, websites, mm. articles. And, and this person's team had not done it before. And I remember interact. I was like, do you want me to tell you what I would do or just tell you like principles and how I would do it? And they're like principles because we want to mm. be the ones coming up with it. You know, but then that team is going to be different to another team in a different part of the world. So that's why it's hard. It's hard to have like fast and steady rules. You've got to calibrate to each other constantly. I mean, by the way, I think, I mean, Mark, you and I had a discussion uh, on your podcast and, and I, I think, you know, we, we nailed this, but it's always what I believe is the best of a, of a strategic planner, which is you think like a journalist, you collaborate like a record producer, and then you defend like a public defender. That's uh, the best relationships I've had with planners. They, you know, they've had those three roles. Yeah, I, I could see, I could see that. Everyone's a little bit different. I'm, I mean, within that, I want the planner to be writing things and finding things that are uncomfortable and provocative, and for them to feel free and safe to land these things, knowing that it's probably, if they're lucky, a word, five words, seven words, out of three months of work that's going to affect something that might end up in public. Yeah. But I, but I like the scaffolding that you went through. It, it, it makes sense. But within that, fluidity as well. A little bit of poetry, mm -hmm. a little bit of crazy. Totally cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, before we cover your journey, one last thing. On your show, on Sweathead, the podcast, what do you like better? Do you like interviewing or do you like the Mark Pollard walk and talk TM? Yeah, look. So I do monologues where it started about two years ago. I just record myself <laughs> walking in places. So like <laughs> New York, Copenhagen, Denmark, Amsterdam, really weird. And it feels obnoxious to do it, but people kept saying, do it. So I kept doing it. Super weird. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I love an interview and increasingly, now that I've refound my voice, which I did lose working in New York for a while. Mm. My, favorite, my favorite parts of the interviews are going, kind of going through the process where we deal with information and then there's a little crack and then we get to the next layer of conversation and then eventually someone's talking about something that they haven't talked about before and the voice changes, the mood changes. Mm. That's, that's what I'm all about. You know, I love talking. I love thinking in public and I just appreciate that people, some people pay attention to it. It feels super obnoxious just when I'm doing monologues. You know, I'm just becoming a bit of a caricature in, in a sense. Deeply appreciate people listening to it. But I love when people crack into what I would call that third layer of interview. All right. Well, I told you I'm a big fan of the walk and talk. So by all means, I, I do hope that you consider to ramble as you perambulate. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The, the, for anyone who's like a bit nervous about doing these kinds of things in public, you're just a character. Like nobody knows me. You're just a character. And, and that's freeing. It doesn't mean that it's easy to do in the moment, but nobody's going to be thinking about you that much. So you might as well just have some fun with it, right? This is me trying to convince myself to be on camera more often because I'm, get, I'm getting older and don't like how I look. But not that I ever did. But I'm like, dude, it's too much. Just turn it down. Turn the face down. Turn the light off. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, my my uh, a friend of mine when I was much younger, we used to uh, play dare uh, in public parks and places like that, and you know very innocently and, and so it's like oh you dare the person to just start singing randomly and so when you do that a few times where you just you recognize yeah i'm just a character in these people's day and yeah. you know sometimes they may throw you a dollar sometimes they may not <laughs> it's okay yeah as long as you got some kind of mission to connect to you know i i do think about what i was talking about with the sweathead what i'm trying to do help people think a lot have livelihoods in the world so i can connect to that in a way where i feel urgency because i because i'm out in public a bit i get tens and tens of messages a week people being hospitalized through burnout in massive agencies in parts of the world or being treated badly like bosses or getting a great new job and so i i have like in vc venture capital world they talk about deal flow i have kind of like story flow where i've always got mm. stuff coming at me and it gives me ways to think about how to how to contribute you know yeah well, we heard a little bit about your journey and, and how you got here and really eclectic start to say the least going from <laughs> Riza and, and Flavor Flav to the wonderful world of sitting under getting 20 hours a week at ad agencies in Australia to hitting the big time in New York. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit, you know, more uh, about that essentially, you know, I, I think, you know, we're there certain pivotal moments kind of in your life that kind of helped you get on the right track, if you will. Well, I mean, totally. I'm not going to go dark into stories, but and I, I talk about some of the stuff that I grew up around and in, and I know full well, I know full well that if I didn't look this way, maybe I wouldn't be here. I totally, I totally know that, you know, I've been extorted by gangs threatened by cops i'm talking as like at the age of my kids right now you know but i was fortunate enough to get a good education and i worked my ass off i would study for 12 to 14 hours uh in the final years of school and I, and I did well and i went to a good school complicated to kind of get into the whole thing so there are many pivotal moments like let's not pretend but i also don't want to say it was these three yeah. because i didn't really know how to exist you know my family fell apart i was five or six and we were being shipped between different houses, sometimes an hour away. And my parents are good people, complex, complicated. I didn't have structure. I was like, people who said I was street smart. I was out in the streets by myself, like literally solo, not like hanging out until I was in my teens. In, and sometimes in good neighborhoods. And so I'm not trying to paint like a really dramatic thing, but I didn't really think people wanted me to come home from a very, very young age. All I knew is that I used to get sent for like IQ tests when I was like two and three years old. And so I was told that I had a different brain, that that brain could lead to opportunity. So through all the ups and downs and the, the challenges, I had to return to my brain, which is not always the thing you want to return to. Right. Wow. So yeah, there were absolutely like tens and tens of pivotal moments. I, I got off, I, I went to a very good private school for a bunch of my career. I got offered a scholarship for the last few years. I fell apart in front of this guy because my younger sister was held up in a house the night before. I took a knife out to the streets to potentially, you know, save her. And I, I remember I broke down in front of this guy. He ended up being like the headmaster or the principal of a super elite UK school. And he kept me in his kind of dead poet society group. Wow. Right? Yeah. So lots of pivotal moments like that. Uh, I was offered a job as a, as a full-time account planner or brand planner at Leo Burnett with a very well-known Australian, well, Canadian-Australian called Todd Sampson. He's got multiple television shows now. I was 28, you know, meeting my wife, having kids, so many. It, I just hope that when my time comes that I can look back at what I've done and, what, and people could see what I've done and be like, you know what? Okay, definitely born with privilege in so many ways, but kind of worked as well and a lot of what i'm trying to do right now is i think through what sweathead will become as a business in the future is going to be about passing that on it has to be a growing profitable business it wasn't a business 12 months ago before pandemic it is now almost it has to be a growing profitable business but it's not status quo it's not business mm -hmm. as usual so i know that's a long answer to the question it's it's like it's really complicated because a lot of these moments they're still in me i still feel them every day right. you know in certain situations, I can be getting anxious or I see my kids grow up. And I'm like, ah, oh, get nervous about it. So meandering answer, but 
one thing I can promise is that I'm going to pass it on. Whatever benefits I've had, I'm going to do my mm-hmm. best to pass them on. Yeah, I mean, that's super powerful. It just kind of adds so much more context, I think, to your story and, and how you even approach problems, you know, and, and how you approach, you know, life. It's, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing that with, with us and our, our listeners. Yeah, pl- pleasure. I, I don't mean to like bomb trauma. It's a new phrase, like trauma. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, you know, listen, I, I, I think what I hear in, in, in that story is what's manifest in the book, in your podcast, in what I know about you and in our uh, relationship is that you provide this excellent collision of book smarts and street smarts. And that is what makes for good planning. And that's what ultimately makes for good advertising, that there's pieces that appeal to the mind and pieces that, that appeal to all the other parts of the body. And uh, I think those experiences that you lay out from your life are showing up, uh, you know, beautifully and strongly in your work. Thank you. Yeah, there's there's a slight savagery and I feel quite protective in, in a way. And like, I don't have a hero or savior complex or anything like that, but I don't like it when people treat my people, they're not my people, but you know what I mean? I don't like it mm. when people treat my people badly because people who do this work, there's so much going on in their heads. And for them to even do this work means that they've probably grown up in some unusual stuff. A lot, not all. Imagine if they could put these ideas out into the world in an even bigger way. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, I'm hoping to track people as I age through their careers of being employees, maybe to helping people set up what they do after being an employee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it keeps me going because the world can really benefit from a lot of these unusual brains out there that think too much. I mean, Mark, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're a white guy. And yet, you know, you're talking, this is, you know, just sounds uh, a lot like efforts that we try to do for for inclusion, you know, obviously, and and thinking about inclusivity in in different ways. And I think you talked a little bit about this earlier, too. It's about empathy and, and helping people translate what might be going on in somebody's life and, and showing them, you know, there's different ways, you know, that's definitely something that I am pretty passionate about from a mentoring standpoint. But I think even taking that on in this career and, and looking at things through that lens is, is just super impactful. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I don't, I, I keep in mind the, those topics, but sometimes the DEI world to me, it feels a bit abstract. But I know that if I'm talking to a person who wants to get into a strategy role and they've got a really unusual background and I don't see that background or their flair represented in their documents, their portfolio, their CV or LinkedIn, I'm like, where are you? And I've read books about talent and creativity and I know that I'm getting older and some of those books say that it does require someone older than the younger person to say, hey, you've got talent, you're going to do this. And so what I try to do is gently show up with people and go, Okay, you're into these, this particular lifestyle or this thing, you know that that's what makes you good, right? Yeah. And we have this glitch in the system moment where they realize they've been trying to guess the right keywords in their CV or on their LinkedIn that's going to get them attention. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You've got it. You need to work hard. You need to develop skills, but you've got a lot of this. Turn that light on, right? And it's that is such a beautiful moment to see. And yeah, totally aware that I'm a white guy. I alluded to it earlier. <laughs> Come on. No, but I, I just think it's cool. Like as somebody, you know, I'll, I'll I'll cut it after this. But I mean, I used to be a rapper when I was a teenager. You know, like I seriously, you know, that's what I'm like laughing. I used to freestyle rap and like I used to travel around and perform. I had mixtapes and CDs. You know, I used to post my stuff on MySpace. Had fans in Australia and. I had someone like you that kind of helped me figure out what's something I could do that I didn't have to like change my whole aura in order to kind of be a productive member of society. And so just keep doing what you're doing. I'm a Listen, every, everybody needs a Rick Rubin, you know? Right? That's everybody true. needs a Rick Rubin. <laughs> That's it. You know, and if you can be a Rick Rubin, you know, more power to you. I would have thought Rob is a Rob Rubin. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, I'm 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 like a combination of Rick Rubin and a Rubin sandwich. 
Here we go. Here we go. We're in an improv, we're in an improv class now or, or, or a rap battle. I don't know. <laughs> oh, please. Let's go bar for bar. Uh, <laughs> oh, Asha, what else? What do you want? What else do you want to do with, with uh, Mr. Mark Pollard here? I think I think we got to get some advice at this point. I think we got to. This get guy some he's dropping gold for you know the last forty minutes. Come on, he's nothing but advice. But okay. Dropping mics, dropping gold. <laughs> dropping mullets. <laughs> I Drop, think- dropping eyelids. That's that's an Asian <laughs> reference, by the way. I just discovered retinol. Kind of interesting. As long as we're not <laughs> dropping tears here. Um, so- Almost did. Okay, so obviously this is an episode for the planners out there. And I think, but but even beyond that, I think what, what I would love for you to just sort of succinctly package for us is a, a combo answer. One, the advice you'd give to planners, you know, at, at any level, uh, but also folks that got to work with us in order to kind of get the best get the best uh, from, from us? What, what advice would you give Yeah, totally. Uh, I'll give you the, the standard boilerplate response that I get when I get messages, DMs, et cetera. Like, what advice would you give to me as someone in planning? My cheeky response to that is ask better questions. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, mic drop. <laughs> the point of thinking is action. The point of thinking is action. And I think that is the most succinct answer I could give to the two and a half to three parts of that question. For people in say the creative teams, sometimes strategists feel insecure. They have a lot going on in their heads. They've been groomed to be right or wrong. And I don't believe in really the ideas of right or wrong with the work we do to somebody in a creative team or, or who's a creative leader, you could change somebody's life by showing empathy and curiosity and respect for the planners in your company because they're so used to being sidelines. We just did a survey with 550 strategists. Majority of them feel sidelined in their work while wanting to be a strategist, 70% of them or so for the next five years and loving doing the work and generally feeling that their companies value them, but they still feel sidelined. They still feel ignored. And some of them, sometimes they do it to themselves, coming in with thinking that doesn't quite make sense, but also that's okay. I don't like all these comments, I can't land the plane. Do you know how to teach someone how to land a plane? Because if you do, you get to make that comment, but not after you try to help them. Right. You know, landing a plane in strategy is a sentence. It's sentences like, I don't feel accomplished enough to be bold. That's not difficult to do if you feel safe, if you've been taught the mechanics, and, and if you feel energized about the work that you're doing. So thinking the point of it is action great listen before we wrap up i just want to say for the record while we were chatting i got an email about a speaker announcement the sweathead do together so what is the sweathead do together and let the folks know how they can participate yeah this i think this is the first time i've talked about it in public um got a little team happening with sweathead and we've been thinking a lot about what we do. And I always sit down and I think about the principles or values that I want to bring to life in something. Also the first principles, how do things work, right? And then the problems that we're trying to solve. The Sweathead Do Together is we're labeling it as the first strategy conference you can turn into a plan. It'll be virtual. We might do stuff offline, but the offline experience won't compromise the virtual experience. Day one is happening in September. Day one will be like the strategist career in the blink of an eye. Day two is what tools and techniques could I use if a brief came in right now? So far, I've got about 15 beautiful speakers. We're trying to get truth bombs and utterly practical material together, catering to online. There'll be about, I don't know, eight-ish minute video for every speaker and then like a 22-minute session of exercises so that you're not just listening to talks. You're going to take a concept and you're going to do it. And I'm 10 years in America and I'm doing an event, big conference in the US, right? Like, I don't mean to be weird about it. Little guy from Australia can barely speak English, right? And mumbles his way through. People don't get my humor here. I look funny. My hair is ridiculous as I'm getting older. My face is drooping. I'm, re- I'm super excited. And, you know, one of the principles that we're putting into this is we're drawing the, the speakers slash instructors from the Sweathead community. Everyone's going to get paid. Everyone's going to know what everyone's getting paid. Everyone's getting like 2% of gross ticket sales. And that's to solve for the fact that often a lot of people expect us all to speak for free. And 
then you kind of, you don't know who's getting paid what. And maybe that's fair. If you can argue your way, negotiate your way, that's fair. But there's certain principles that we're trying to really embed in everything that we do. And if this type of event is successful, I'll be doing a lot more of them, right? But that's an example of, you know, one of the general principles of like share the wealth, share the power. It's going to take a few ticket sales for me to personally break even. People are going to get paid anyway. It's going to hope, hope all the other work comes through and I sell a few more books in Spanish and Portuguese, by the way, soon. So, yeah, but, but yeah, thanks for letting me talk about this. The Sweater Duty, they're super excited. You know, it's, it's like when you get people who are deeply into something, respect it, see all its dimensions, decide to try to support each other as a community to teach everybody coming through and to put stakes in the ground about what it is to do our work while still loving it. That's what that's about. Excellent. Well, listen. Thank you. Mark Pollard, the ecosystem is genius. We've got the Sweathead Do Together coming up. That sounds amazing. Thank you. Strategy is your words. Uh, I can't recommend this book more. It's really interesting, very smart, very helpful. I think creatives should get it. They'll, they'll learn some precision. Uh, and the Sweathead podcast, the way that uh, you and I actually met uh, just as I was walking my dog and stumbling upon your podcast and hearing uh, one of your walk and talks, I thought, wow, this guy's really interesting. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for everything you've been doing. But uh, Just to point it back at, at both of you as well, Rob, you've, you've got more to lose than other people. And so what I respect about you is how in public, I've got no idea what it's like to work with you. That could be a horrible experience, but at least in public, <laughs> you are straight up, you try to be useful, you try to be curious and interested. And if we had way more leaders like you in this industry, it would be a different place. Hopefully you're good to work with as well. You are modeling things that you don't have to, that the old school people like you would not do because they're too good for it. So I want to thank you and point that out. Asha, rapper, stand-up comedian. Oh yeah, big strategy career ahead. <laughs> Very excited for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> She's great. She's listen. She's a great planner too. Fantastic. Well, good. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And yeah, we can't thank you enough for being on the show. And uh, you know, thank you for all you do. You're really, you're really pushing the uh, the business forward. And I think you're making a lot of people who may have been uncomfortable doing things in our business very comfortable uh, and at least uh, better at what they do. So uh, thank you for that. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Peace. Bye. So to all our listeners, make sure that you follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram to get everything you need from Disruptor Series. And you can find the link to Mark Pollard's book in the description. Make sure you get strategy is your word. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.